This is Brother William Kantz with this week's lesson from the book of Acts. The chapter is 19. The verses are 1 through 20. And the title of this week's lesson is The Ephesian Church. And the text reads from the New King James. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Verse 11. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Some of the uh, Jewish, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Praise God's holy and divine word. 
The Apostle Paul first visited Ephesus for a brief time near the end of his second missionary journey, about 49 to 52 A.D. We notice that in Acts 18 and verse 19. Although the Ephesians requested that he stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, verse 20. Nevertheless, before leaving the city, Paul promised, I will return again to you, God willing, verse 21. Let's read Acts 18, 19 to 27. And he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. After that, he spent some time there. He departed, went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos was born at Alexandria. An eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Aquila and Priscilla heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So we step back in order to go forward to understand the situation that we have here with Paul returning to Ephesus, having been preceded in the gospel presentation by Apollos, who we will see was limited in his understanding. The Apostle Paul fervently preached the gospel of Jesus Christ in Ephesus, working with the church there, and we note that in Acts 19 and 20. When Paul arrived at Ephesus, he entered one of the major cities of the Near East, the ancient world. Ephesus was at this time a, a great commercial city, it was the seat of administration of the Roman province of Asia, or Asia Minor, what is now Turkey. However, it had Greek cultural influences, including an independent local senate and civic assembly. So there was a great deal of debate, discourse in this city. The great temple of Artemis, in the Greek and Diana 
the Roman, the goddess of the hunt, who was proclaimed to be the protector of young women, was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was four times larger than the Parthenon. This pagan worship provided a foolish foil for the reasonable, expectant, polemic truths of Paul's message. In other words, the populace was expectant and ready to receive the truth. The sublime contents of the Ephesian letter moved Samuel Taylor Coleridge to refer to it as the divinest composition of man. It has been called the queen of the epistles. Paul makes no personal references in this letter, no names mentioned, no memories recalled, and no reminders of the occasion. Our study this quarter, then, focuses on Ephesians with a sense of allowing us an in-depth consideration of the universal nature, the power and applicability of the truth inherent to the first century church. This extends from the eternal purpose of God to its day-to-day life revealed in human relationships, marriage, family life, and work responsibilities. The Ephesian letter breaks down into two main sections. Chapters 1 through 3 are doctrinal, dealing with fundamentals of the faith, and chapters 4 through 6 are more practical lessons dealing with the expectations of a Christian lifestyle. Two points are especially made prominent in our focus study today as we uh, have a prelude, so to speak, of studying the book of Ephesians uh, by looking at this chapter in Acts. And this chapter, 19, 1 through 20, includes the incorporation of John's disciples with the church in other words, clarifying baptism into Jesus Christ and the systematic and eminent success of Paul's preaching in Ephesus. The account establishes the necessity of being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, verse 5. Paul's efforts are focused on persuading unbelievers concerning the things of the kingdom of God. This passage shows the difference the gospel makes in the lives of those who submit to Jesus. As it does today, the gospel transformed those who accepted and practiced the truths Paul proclaimed. During his time in Ephesus, we we note that the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed, verse 20. Ultimately, as a teacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul invested in the lives of others, and that led to influence, and influence leads to change of heart of mind. Let's unpack these themes. 
In verse 1, Luke informs us that Apollos was at Corinth. Apollos was introduced at Ephesus in chapter 18 and verse 24, as we read. He was a learned man, learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. That is the Old Testament, of course. He was brilliant and passionate. Luke writes about how when Paul arrived in Ephesus, he immediately initiated contact with some disciples who he understood were incomplete in their faith. Paul asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? In response, they admitted, we have not so much heard whether there is a Holy Spirit, verse 2, chapter 19. Paul then asked, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism, verse 3. Upon hearing this response, Paul explained, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus, verse 4. He wanted the men to know that John's work was preparatory. Note, John 1, verses 19 through 27. Paul pointed in, or John pointed individuals to Jesus. After Jesus' death on the cross, John's baptism was no longer valid. Note Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. The disciples were then rebaptized, this being the only example of this in the Bible. Their reaction was similar to what Luke describes in Acts 2 and verse 4 at Pentecost. These 12, verse 7, seem to have been followers of Jesus, but indirectly through John the Baptist or some of his followers. Or perhaps they had received their teaching from Apollos himself in his earlier state of partial understanding. He, Apollos, as noted in chapter 18, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Chapter 19, verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly. He was heard by many Jews and Gentiles, starting with the initial disciples. He was able to spread the gospel in a wide arc. He had the ability and the discipline to reason with patience and discernment. He was there three months much longer than the three Sabbaths in Thessalonica, as we read in chapter 17, verse 2 of Acts, but he used the same approach. Jews first, then Greeks, verse 9. But some noted he eventually was seen as a threat by some 
in the synagogue. Paul's time in the synagogue ended when individuals who were hardened and did not believe became obstinate, began to speak evil of the way before the multitudes, Acts 19 and verse 9. The term translated hardened, New King James, these individuals not only rejected Paul's message, but also maligned, disparaged, and insulted the way. Let us notice several references in Acts that details Paul's evolving perspective of the way. In Acts 9 and verse 2, and ask letters from him, the high priest, to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Paul as the inquisitor. Chapter 19 and verse 23. And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. And in his defense before Felix, in chapter 24 and verse 14, Paul says, But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and prophets. Notice, the way, not a way. For the message of Jesus Christ is the only way. Paul had come to that understanding. When the synagogue became unavailable because of the harassment of some, in verse 9, Paul departed from them and withdrew the disciples, the remnant, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. God uses who he will to dictate his providence, his will, his way. There is no such thing as coincidence, and Tyrannus' name alone tells us enough to understand he re represents the secular school of logic and rational presumptiveness. Paul may have rented his school, his building space, in down times, possibly midday, for Paul's series of lectures. Verse 10. All who dwelt in Asia heard the word. Again, Ephesus was at a commercial, political, and cultural crossroads of empires. This afforded the free flow of ideas and the dissemination of the truth. Paul's teachings were confirmed by the miracles he performed. Verse 11. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. God worked again through Paul. Paul was the vessel for God's intent. God is looking for hands to use. Are there any volunteers? Paul's impact was great on the multitude. The term used to describe his miracles, unusual, New King James, is also 
translated extraordinary in the ESV. Given the way the itinerant Jewish exorcists attempted to cast out evil spirits by the Jesus whom Paul preaches, verse 13, it is obvious Paul's miraculous abilities were both noticed and impactful. The contrast between God's power demonstrated through Paul's miraculous abilities and man's lack of power as seen in the hands of Sceva, Acts 19, verse 14 and 16, led both Jews and Greeks in Ephesus to fear God mightily and magnify the name of the Lord Jesus, verse 17. And those who practiced magic brought their books together and burned them inside of all. This removed the focus among those present from that of mysticism, confusion, to an understanding of the way of the most holy gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's notice Psalm 49, verses 10 through 15, in order to focus on this understanding that God alone has the glory, deserves the glory, and has the power to do all things. Psalm 49, verses 10 through 15 reads, For all can see that wise men die. The foolish and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever. Their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. Verse 12. But man, despite his riches, does not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. Like sheep, they are destined for the grave and death will feed on them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the graves far from the princely mansions. Verse 15. But God, will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. Selah. This lesson is yours. Thanks for listening and participating in this ongoing study. I pray that something has been said that is both edifying and uplifting. Next week's lesson comes from Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 14, and is titled, To the Saints. Let's pray for one another. Most gracious, holy, and forgiving God, our Father, who sits high and looks low, we come to you clothed in the humility of those who have reasoned the truth with fervent faith. We recognize your omnipotence, your omniscience, and your omnipresence. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, Savior, Intercessor, 
bless his most divine calling. We thank you for his sacrifice on the hill of death where he sacrificed his perfect self as the propitiation required to offer the way to salvation by the removal of sin from those who have a zealous faith. We thank you for all the many blessings you bestow on us each day. We thank you for early morning rising health and the needed empathetic energy to serve you. As a forgiving God, we know you provide a way of restoration for those who have committed trespasses and repent, asking for forgiveness. We thank you for that covenant blessing. Thank you for always being present. We pray for those who are suffering, Father, those who are downtrodden, those suffering the pain of grief, sickness, loneliness, the chaos and confusion of this world. Help us all, Father, to remember to turn to you in the good times and the rough times. Help us, Father, to practice empathy and forgiveness that you have taught us through the lessons of your Son. Help us to recognize, Father, and act in the way of the Holy Spirit that you have supplied us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for being our Father and the blessing of being called your children. We pray that this lesson has been pleasing and acceptable to you. In Christ Jesus, we send up this prayer. Amen. Again, Christians, thank you for being present. Go out this week in Christian love and touch someone. Remember to always do those things that God would have us to do. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Count it all joy. Stay safe. Bye for now.